welcome to the History Shows Us podcast. I'm your host, Letty, a historian with a passion to speak truth and teach about history, racial justice, and more, making the critical connections between the past and present. Seeing the bigger picture is so necessary in our society today. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, how are you? How's your body? How's your spirit? Do you ask yourself those questions every day? I've started asking myself those questions because I've learned the importance of them. And it also makes me slow down though and really choose to be honest with myself regardless of what the answers are to those questions. So yeah, I don't know if you've done that yet today, but do that if you haven't. But anyway, thank you for tuning in. Happy that you're here. If this is your first time listening, welcome to all the truth you're going to get from my podcast about history, racism, white supremacy, capitalism, and so much more. (laughs) But anyway, let me go ahead and jump right into this week's episode because the conversation that I had with my friend Kena Reed is gold. I mean, we talked about whiteness. We talked about myths of whiteness, what whiteness is. We talked about anti-blackness, racism, how we see all this today. And also, though, more importantly, Kina's perspectives on all of this as a consultant and a facilitator. She's also a learning strategist. Kina is a researcher and she's a community advocate. And really, every day she wakes up committed to moving us all closer to this goal line of shared humanity. And I love her for that. I mean, Kina spirit, you'll be able to hear it um, through this conversation. But her spirit is one where you can tell that she really embodies this, um, this want, right? This, this passion to see the bigger picture, right? And She's constantly looking for these opportunities to help other people enlarge themselves and especially whenever it comes right to these conversations surrounding racism and white supremacy. And you're going to hear more um, about what she does and why she does it. So let's go ahead and get right to it. Well, thanks, Kina, for being here on my podcast. I'm excited. We're finally doing this. I feel like we've talked about it for two or three months now, and it's already May. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Letty. Yeah. So obviously, I know who you are. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) But how about telling the listeners a little bit about who you are? As a black woman, also um, the anti-blackness reader, your podcast. Yeah, just tell us some about who you are. I actually wanted to start real sexy like, you know, my name is Kina. I'm a Sagittarius. I like long walks on the beach kind of thing. I'm learning yoga. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, dot, dot, dot. Uh, but yeah, you know, and then I want to just use your line, you know, I'm a black woman, but you already did the spoiler alert, Letty. So 
Um, <laughs> and then I would have my mic drop moment. I'm a black woman. Um, but yeah, I'm Kina Reed. I am the creator of not one but two um, social media platforms that relate to, um, you know, the race construct as it, it, it seems to have manifested. I am the creator of the anti-reader, anti-blackness reader. Oh my gosh, why am I acting like I don't know the name of my own project? Uh, the anti-blackness reader project and uh, the soon to be something dot, 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 um, the divesting from whiteness um, platform as well. So I'm happy to be here and feel so much joy to be in community with you. And so I do feel like today is just an extension of conversations we have and will have and all that kind of stuff since time is not linear. It's not. Yeah. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. Yes. I'm definitely happy to be in community with you too. And the title divesting from whiteness, how did you decide on that one? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny too, because like, you're one of the few people who I've had conversations with back and forth, you know, about like what to do. And so I think maybe it makes sense to say that, you know, this was the platform formerly known as Hug Your Right Friends, right? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I always tell people that the Anti-Blackness Reader Project existed in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit way before it manifested on social media. Um, where else the Divesting from Whiteness Project um, really kind of was a, a reaction to what I, I would call white violence and me trying to negotiate how do I provide um, or lift up what I think are important parts of the, and I, I, I'm so shy about using the term anti-racism education. I'm not really necessarily like the most committed to that term, but it's the term that probably makes more sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, there's a part of this conversation I think I can lend some nuance to. Um, and so, yeah, the Divesting from Whiteness Project uh, was born out of really being tired of white shenanigans. Your girl created a definition a month ago that I'm really proud of, like things that I'm proud of that I'm keeping my basil alive and that I finally put pen to paper and define white shenanigans. And so, yeah, the Divesting from Whiteness Project kind of centers um, the ways in which all people, um, especially white people, but all people can divest from whiteness. Um, it's a harmful system. So yeah, that's, I think me responding to your question yeah, thank you for that. Yes, it is an extremely harmful system. And it's also because whiteness is a foundational problem in this country, yeah. right? Like history yeah. shows us that everywhere. It's evident to me, but clearly to quite a bit of America, it's still like, what is that? What is whiteness? I'm a good white person. Mm. Oh, and that's whenever I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to <laughs> Right, and then they're also like, I'm not a white supremacist, and you're like, well, I'm not saying you're that either, right? So while these things can be kissing cousins, they're not, right? Mm -hmm. And so helping people even negotiate that, right? Lots of people um, 
subscribe to whiteness and wouldn't necessarily say I'm a white supremacist. Um, and those are two different concepts, you know, in my mind. So yeah, I think people really struggle. But yeah. hell, Letty, I mean, people are still trying to figure out if they're white or not in these streets. Yeah. So there's <laughs> and that's the whole thing, right? That's the whole thing. The whole thing. And I mean, that's where I I'm like, when people are confused, quote unquote, about the difference between a white supremacist and whiteness, I'm just, I'm like, make it make sense as to why you're confused. Because I'm tired of explaining it and also finding and seeing black people still being expected to absolve white people of their racism and of their whiteness. That makes sense. Yeah. For the sake of, this is me putting on my like, teacher hat, right? Like both whiteness and white supremacy are connected by hierarchy and power, right? Um, we would argue that white supremacists are people who believe that white people naturally or people of the Aryan race, whatever cohort they use this year, feel morally, ethically, all the way superior to all of the people groups and also starchly believe in the separation of these dead people groups, right? But I also think that people who are actively subscribing to whiteness or even unconsciously subscribing to whiteness also believe in that hierarchy. They just don't necessarily agree with white supremacists about how that hierarchy manifests. You see what I'm saying? And right. they, they probably would also not necessarily say, I believe in the separation of the races, but these are also the same people who will live in uh, towns or cities um, that were built upon white flight. These are the same people who would say, oh, I don't believe in the separations of, of races, but take their kids to schools where the, the majority of those kids that their kids go to school with are only white people. So they live in gated neighborhoods with white neighbors and live in white flight cities and towns. So again, on paper, they would probably never say, oh, people of different races and ethnicities should never mix. But the manifestation of segregation is very much alive in their lives. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is because whenever I see that happening, I'm just like, it's, it's a, there's a direct parallel mm -hmm. between today and let's say, oh, I don't know, 1941, but people don't want to see it that way because they're like, oh, but, but we've progressed. Oh, but we've, we've come far. Oh, but this, oh, but that. And I'm like, yeah, but even is like where I am here in Wilmington, North Carolina, where you have things like neighborhood schools. Hmm, neighborhood schools are actually like modern day segregation. So mm -hmm. what it is also rooted in, right, is not only racism and white supremacy, but anti-blackness. And mm -hmm. that is the component that is left out far too often whenever it comes to conversations about racism, but specifically the racism that we as black people experience in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, yeah, you said a lot in all the things. <laughs> I know. I don't even realize sometimes how much I say in one sentence. Yeah. Well, no, let it just this episode was great. I think we did the things that we needed to do. My job. Y'all keep listening to Lady's <laughs> podcast. But honestly, I mean, 
And that's the thing is the also the level of defensiveness, right? That we constantly we and I'm, and I can't speak for all black people, but many of us see when it comes to I don't know conversations, right, about inequity in education. Just for example, because I just brought that up, there's this defensiveness, and it's and then there are all these all these excuses like, oh, but that's how the lines were drawn. Oh, but we just happen to live in this neighborhood. Oh, but no, I just want my child to go to a good school. And those are words that are used. And I'm like, okay, but that's a subjective term. So when I mean say things like, I want my child to go to a good school. My question to people is, so what is a bad school? So answer that question, right? So what is a bad school? And I've asked someone that before. I'm like, so you want your white child to go to a good school, so what's the bad school to you, right? And they're like, oh, I just mean just in just in a different area. And I'm like, okay, but what what area though? <laughs> like, I'm, 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 I'm like, say it with your whole chest, but you're not going to. Yeah. But it's also like when people say, you know, I miss the good old days. And you're like, hmm, what good uh, old days, right? Make America great again. Okay, so when was it great? And now, you know, as we're living in these days of COVID, right, I've become so disgusted with the term normal. I just wish it could be normal. I just wish it could be normal. Like, Mm -hmm. y'all think whatever we were dealing with was normal? And that's another one of those subjective words, I feel like. And I want to kind of like go back in time a little. So, again... Uh, my platform, Divesting from Whiteness, is really just a medium to help give people the tools to divest from whiteness. It is what it is, right? Um, but prior to that, it was formally known as Hug Your White Friends. And I have never been out here in these streets giving hugs to white people. So let me say that shit out loud because a lot of people are like, you want to call the white people? Like, oh, no, that's not how I live my life. Um, but, you know, there's a particular moment after George Floyd is murdered. And, you know, Breonna Taylor is murdered. And, I, you know, and so, like, a lot of people, and I wouldn't even just say this was white people. I also think a lot of non-Black people were struggling with this, right, which is, like, feeling this internalized guilt and shame and really wanting to do everything to convince themselves they were not like George Floyd's murderer, right? But I also think there's this other component, which is, Letty, you and I have never believed in the American dream. I'm pretty sure I could say that freely, right? Yeah, I've never believed. So I've never believed in this kind of, oh, this is the land of the free, home of the brave, just, I never failed for that. But Letty, a lot of people did. I think a lot of people truly did believe that we had an equitable justice system, that we have fair courts and blah, blah, blah. And so when last year catapulted the way it did, I think there were a lot of people who were like, wait a second, I'm experiencing some major cognitive dissonance because all these things I believe to be true clearly aren't, right? And so that's not to say that people shouldn't be held accountable are responsible for knowing, but it is to say, I think there's this this place, this margin where people really are like, oh, huh. And that's because of privilege, right? Yeah. Privilege said that you don't have to know. Privilege isolates what you are even stimula- stimulated by, right? And so one of the things I always like to offer people is like, 
if I bought a brand new 2021 black four-door Audi, that's my dream car, by the way. Audi's my dream car. Like, I buy it, and then a couple days later, I'm noticing all the Audis on the street. But that's because now this is something that I intend my brain to see. Part of the problem here is that for so long, people have been able, because of privilege, to say, oh, I don't have to see that thing. And when they finally see it, and it's such a radical uh, difference than what they knew to be true, it does create this, like, mind F, you know? And so, anyway, that's, that's, that, that's how I have interpreted a lot of people that I have come across is some of these people actually bought the shit, Letty. Well, and I know that's and I know it's hard because we're like, how how could you have be- believed that? Well, they believed it because it was catered to white people. That part, yeah. I mean, it was also the idea of the American dream came after, really, it came after both the first world wars. So you had one where it was this whole America first slogan. Okay, mm-hmm. America first, early 1900s. You had this whole, it's us or us and. Put our people first, their people, meaning white people first, had nothing to do with black people, um, had nothing to do with brown people. With immigrants coming over to this country, they even found a way to allow the, the physical skin color of these immigrants to um, allow them to assimilate into white culture. That's a whole yeah. other conversation. And I'm here for it. That could be like, like an entire podcast episode because that requires yeah. an entire conversation too. We can get into the eugenics movement. And yeah, let, we'll save things. that for, we'll save right. for later on. Yeah, and it's just the American dream is something that was easily digestible because it already served those who were benefiting from racism and white supremacy. Now, these same people thought <laughs> that they were part of the ruling class, but the ruling class is actually not <laughs> who white people think it is. Like it's like y'all are betraying yourselves, but oh, but all right. Well, oh gosh, Letty, gosh, you know, I I think about, you know, we're, we're, these days we're talking about the big lie, you know, in reference to, uh who won the United States presidential election in 2020 and stuff. But there's such a, there's more than one big lie. That's what I'm saying. Like there's multiple big lies and there's multiple big portrayals, especially when we're talking about the system of whiteness in its relationship to white people. Well, yeah, I, think, I mean, all of history shows lies. Like you have the lie well, of this land is ours with the original colonizer. Lie number one. Yeah. God, God told us. Right. Like the weaponization of Christianity. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. you have the lie of the Civil War, which is a huge thing. Um, mm. You have the lie of how America was trying to betray its country by allowing all of these black people out here after slavery happened, which is whenever you see the re-enslavement of black people, you saw the complete hypocrisy in the amendments that were performative, in my opinion, that were passed. You also then, yeah, there's always patterns. Um, There are so many lies. This, This country 
feeds on that and allows these they there's constant evidence like can just so many consistencies too with lies on an interpersonal level with relationships between black people and white people and how oh well black people are going to take your money and take your land and all these things and then you had all these lynchings happening right like the reported ones are almost up to 5,000 according to the equal justice initiative and I want to say that again reported I don't want people out here listening thinking that everyone reported them that's not that's not how that worked yeah. um right and so there's always been lies to allow, and I'm saying skin, you know, white people to absolve themselves from racism and the ways that they are upholding this very system that also in many ways, if we're talking about capitalism and stuff, doesn't even benefit them. But anyway, yeah, so we, we see this throughout history. And so that's why whenever people talk about things like the American dream, you think about stuff like Langston Hughes and his poetry and how, how the dream is deferred, right? And you think about how we have two Americas. And so, yeah, the American dream was the white American dream. It also, though, was a dream that Black people aspire to reach. That's how. That's what you see in the Great Migration. Like you see these Black people trying to leave their horrors and the atrocities in the South after slavery. You have three waves of the Great Migration because there was some, but it wasn't the same though. I don't think that it was the same. There was a different. There was a different reason for hope when it came to Black people in this dream to live in a country that would accept them and not continue to try to kill them. And we're still fighting that battle today. And I just feel like unless, and, and, and that's even a, something that I see now, right? With what you said about MAGA and people thinking also that MAGA has just disappeared. I'm like, y'all know that all those people didn't just disappear into thin air, right? Um, like, they're all still here. And so... Definitely. Right, like, conversations about that that should be continuing because if not, it's going to be very dangerous in three more years with another election coming up. And I know... I mean, I feel like that's dangerous now, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's going to be even more so because... Right now, I think what happens too is we're so inundated with so much information on social media that people also pay attention to, oh, well, if someone else isn't posting this and I'm not going to post it either, I'm not going to talk about it anymore either. And that can't be something that we do. Like, I don't care if anyone else is posting history stuff. I'm going to keep posting about the truth, about the history of this country and the horrors of it and also the resilience and the beauty of Black people. But... I know me and you were talking earlier, well, texting earlier, clearly before we started recording this, about white pride versus black pride and the issues with that and how we've we've heard this phrase white pride so often, even more so, right, yeah. in the last six years. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting because... Um, and I always try to always say this all the time. Letty is the trained historian. I am the uh, what? What do you call some like 
is it okay to call someone a history buff? I'm the history buff, I think. Yeah, uh, I call people like history lovers. Yeah. Yeah, history lovers. You know, I always try to make it really clear. I am not a trained historian. Um, that is not my formal education. But I remember last year feeling a lot like 1865, right? <laughs> like Donald Trump's whole presidency in some ways married. Is it, was it, is it, it's Andrew Jackson or, yeah, I think Andrew Jackson. I mean, it, a lot of that felt so similar. And I think if you study history, um, it's easier to see those patterns, Letty, right? It's easier to see, yeah. oh, we've seen this before. Mm -hmm. What's interesting this week, right, um, and last week in the, in the news was those congressional hearings about the great insurrection, right? And, you know, oh gosh, I don't know what the name of this particular white man was, but he's like, I didn't see an insurrection. I saw regular tourists. I just, you know, it was a regular day in Washington. And I'm like, we know, Letty, that this stuff happens because we read and we study, but it's nothing like seeing that shit in real time. I was like, y'all are dead ass about to remix the history just happened like three, like a couple months ago. Y'all yeah. are doing this in our face. Did y'all not see the multiple cameras? And again, because we study history, we know, like like you mentioned, the Civil War got remixed. You know what I'm saying? All these things get the story, the narrative changes. But it is one thing to see, like to know that and have read about it. But to see it in real time, you're like, damn, you're really going to try to do this, son. You know? And so I think to your point, and you made lots of major points, when you are able to see the patterns, um, then things start to really make sense. And I love to tell this to people. I love to say it out loud. I feel like I've said it in a podcast, but I will say this anytime someone hands me a mic. The insurrection at the Capitol wasn't just like an attack on democracy and all the things our political leaders tell us. I very much identify that as an anti-Black moment, right? I can't say that enough. Mm -hmm. I say it's an anti-Black moment because, first of all, it was responding to Black voters, right? There is no way that President Joe Biden would be President Joe Biden if Black mamas and uncles and aunties and college students and AKAs and all, you know what I'm saying? Like all those people didn't show up to vote. All right. Shout out to all people in colleges. I'm just saying like, yeah. so the first thing that happens is y'all big mad because black people voted and we, we did it like we always do it, you know? Um, but the second reason why it's an anti-black moment, because again, who built that shit for free twice? Our foreparents, right? And so I always want to lift up the fact that patterns of anti-Blackness and the resentment towards Black greatness and genius, yeah, th that shit is super, super predictable. So, I mean, I know you weren't surprised when you found out that 47 states have over 800 voter suppression legislation right now on the table. I called it, you know? Mm -hmm. There's no... There's no, um, what do you call it? Nothing new under the sun. 
And that's one of the gifts that histories give us is to be able to see those patterns that are so important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whenever it like whenever Georgia made history last year. Yeah. One of the things I said was, okay, let's just wait and see. Wait and see. Because they always do something. Always do something. And what I find that's frustrating to me, but it's what I expect is just as people, right? Like our human nature is to believe whatever we see and whatever we have proof of. And what happens is if if it's not spelled out and doesn't look overt, people are like, oh, but maybe that's not what they're doing. Because that's a similar way people see racism in this country. They think yeah. racism is just the overt stuff. They think it's just the Klan. One calling me a nigger. They think that it's just, they. that's what they think it is. But racism is also covert. Like it's in everything. And that is something that people also, I feel like, get defensive about and want to say, okay, well, well, why do we, why do we have to focus on the negative? Y'all created the system. Like we didn't create this. <laughs> and so I think like getting back to what you were saying, Kina, about the voter suppression laws is no surprise because already before um, 45 was occupying the White House before Obama was in the White House, before George Bush Jr. Like, there have constantly been voter suppression tactics, laws, yeah. and policies in place, right? Well, it, voter suppression is embedded in the Constitution, right? Yeah. Like, we talk about that delegation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. The right. intention, right? Like, again, let's go back to remixing because it's the thing that people say out loud and then it's the reality of the thing. So the document says all men are created equal. We find these truths to be evident. All that great sounding rhetoric. But, you know, and I used to know this number and it's not even important, but I'm just saying the delegates who met to create the Constitution never intended that the democracy would hold a space for all voters. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely so, not. You know, and the thing is like, when something like, whatever you plant in the ground grows, right? And so <laughs> this idea that, oh, we've just, we, we, we've lost our way. No, you ain't never had the way. <laughs> no. It ain't never been right, actually. And the closest thing you've gotten to to anything being, uh, I don't know, correct, is the shit that we've done, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, you know, I always say, I'll stand behind whatever I say, that anything that looks like democracy, anything that looks like a representative democracy has really been ushered in by the work of Black peoples. Mm -hmm. by Black people demanding that the living document that is said constitution actually live up to its decrees. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, that is not to say that other people haven't partnered with us in those enterprises, but, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll stand by this. There would not be any notion of a representative democracy if Black people weren't out here in these streets consistently working to engage it to be so. 
Right. I can definitely agree with you there. And there's something that you said a minute ago, and it made me think about the fact that anytime you have ever had black people, right, um, resisting in a way that was blatantly obvious. And I want to say that because resistance historically has been something that's always happened. But whenever it comes to, I don't know, like, you know, think of rebellions that enslaved people orchestrated and revolts and things that I'm reading for as a historian. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, think about the backlash to that what happened afterwards. And I always use the example of Nat Turner's Rebellion because because it's one that many people have heard of before. Yeah. And think about that. And then what happened to just black and swing people across the country? It wasn't just a, oh, okay, well, we're going to deal with Nat Turner and hang him, kill him, and then also kill other enslaved people. No, but also we're going to spread the word about this and his body parts across the country. And we're going to just use it as an example. And then you had all these other enslavers who were doing the same thing who are like, Oh, well, we don't want y'all to do this. And we're just going to have preventative measures and go ahead and just kill a lot of y'all, which PS for those of you listening, um, that was property. That was money. And because we were commodities, we were not people. And yeah. so, right, it's important to see it in, in that context. Even as, after uh, the Civil War is done, we're still talked about like yeah. property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, we definitely are. Because contrary to a lot of people's beliefs, uh, the Civil War didn't happen and the South didn't just lose and they didn't just say, okay, well, all right, I guess we have to just obey the law now and just treat all these black people fairly. <laughs> that is literally no, not what happened at all, at all, right? And that's why I talk See, about now it's getting like this. sexy, Letty. You know, that's my favorite <laughs> period of time. This is awkward, too, because, like, how can you say, I was talking, I was like, I love talking about slavery. And I was like, wait a second, I know that sounds awkward. I know that sounds awkward. How can I say, and it's not so much as like, obviously I don't enjoy that our ancestors were enslaved, but I've learned so much from studying that period of time. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, which I'm like getting us off course, Letty, so you can always get us back to where you want us to be at. But this is, this is fine. You know, I am all about it. <laughs> a lot of black people struggle and rightfully so, because I don't police how black people survive in an anti-black world so let me put that out there but a lot of black people struggle right with digesting the enslavement and it and it totally makes sense for me um part of falling in love with my blackness right has been actually going to that that period of time and relearning right because what i learned in primary and K-12 was some bullshit, you know. Uh, speaking of the number one bullshit, <laughs> is that Abraham Lincoln was the free of the slaves. That was some bullshit, right? Uh, and I always talk about like how heartbroken I was when I found out the truth. Like, I literally cried, right? Um, but going back to that period of time has really actually been so empowering because I think, I mean, there are buildings, lady, that literally 
exists right now, aka the capital. Because our demoralized and dehumanized ancestors created these amazing things despite, right, what they had experienced. And so that to me has been empowering. And it's also empowering because, like I said, I'm not surprised about white shenanigans because there's, it's the same playbook. It just manifests different things. And so there's something to be said about, like, knowing that, feeling strong, knowing what they've planted. And also, like I said, there's not a lot that surprised me about white supremacy and whiteness because, like, it's just over and over and over again. And I also feel like there's so much to be learned, too, about even that period after the Civil War, which I have stopped. I feel like you and I talked about this, but maybe not. Like, I've stopped referring to it as Reconstruction. The only thing that got reconstructed was white supremacy, you know? <laughs> like, that was the thing that really got rebuilt. And so, yeah, I think there's something to be said about honoring that time, learning from that time as we move forward to create new meanings and new frameworks and even new models, you know? I think about, and then I'm gonna stop, Like, but like even after the Civil War ends, the forced um, familying that happened at that time, right? Because we're looking at enslaved people who are newly freed, who had developed all types of family structures right? Be that, you know, polygamy, that's something that we don't often really lift up, right? Or, you know, I mean, there were a lot of different, I guess the best way to describe it would be like different arrangements and sorting out family and intimacy and Black love. But then something like the Freedmen's World comes along and basically says, if you want resources from us, you, you know, if you've got two wives, you got to drop down to one, if you got two husbands, you need to pick one. If you're, you know, in a same-sex situation, you can. And so the government has always existed to um, interrupt and redesign the structures, ways of being and knowing and loving that we do as a Black people. And knowing that helps us fight that injustice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was good. And there's some, some things that you said that I want to touch on because... Yeah, the Reconstruction era is, I will always refer to it as the Reconstruction era as a historian and the work that I do. Yeah. Because, because it is such an integral time. So, right, like 18, eh, 1868, 1866 is what they say. I say 1868. Eight, <laughs> but 1866 <laughs> to 1877 was essentially this Reconstruction era. And the reason why I continue to call it Reconstruction era is because I want to show the hypocrisy in the word mm -hmm. Reconstruction, right? I'm like, so what were they reconstructing? Because they <laughs> yeah. all, all they did was reconstruct slavery. I they guess don't have that, no receipts, lady. They... No receipts. No receipts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's all they did. And yeah. so, and it was also, right, this era that um, people want to say was, oh, well, it was just a failure. I'm like, no, actually, y'all sabotaged it because mm -hmm. you were upset. And it was actually something that was going to benefit poor white people. But because poor white people wanted to betray themselves, case in point, same thing that, that we see today. Well, can we hold that, that for a second? Can, I mean, that is like a, 
Yeah. That's a mic drop. And they still haven't seen the pattern, though, Letty, right? Yeah. Well, they don't want to. It's, 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 it's not that they're not there. It's not that people aren't saying it. People legitimately don't want to. I, I have told people, and they're like, no. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm just making this up. Okay. And it's just, right. And then there's something else you said, Kina, about um, the Black family. Well, the thing that's also very important to remember and that I want to point out for the listeners is that uh, Black enslaved people could not get married. Um, it was very rare that it happened. It was very, very rare. And so if you ever read about it happening and you're like, oh, but see, and 25 people did get married. I wonder what the catch was with that. I mm. wonder what the fine print was with that that the enslaved black people didn't even know about. Because the thing is, all of these stories about the enslavers, oh, but some of them treated their slaves nicely. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Like nice is another one of those words, kind of like what you said before about the word normal. Nice is a word that I don't use very often because mm -hmm. that is just below the bare minimum to me. There are so many more words in the dictionary besides nice. There are so many more words right besides normal. So I'm like, those two terms are subjective. Um, yeah, it just depends on who you're yeah. talking to, right? And I so want to do a shameless plug now, Letty. Shameless plug, diverse, divesting for whiteness. I'm having that conversation right now on my platform about niceness and the violence of it. Yes, it is. Right. I mean, it it is violent. And mm -hmm. I believe like right now I'm rereading, we're about to be finished with it, but I'm rereading the book, They Were Her Property with my patron yeah. book club. And it's very easy for people to look at history and say, oh, but some enslaved people were treated well. It's like, no, well, just because they weren't getting whipped with the cowhide and bleeding almost to death doesn't yeah. mean that they were getting treated well because there was like slave mastery was an entire, was an entire way of life. Yeah. There was, there's a lot of manipulation in that. There was a lot of lying in that. There was a lot of, yeah. Oh, I mean, build your trust only to tear you down. And whenever that happens to a group of people who are already brutalized, who are already oppressed, you're going to look for whatever good you can. So, of course, yeah. then you're going to have, right, these slave narratives where, um, in, where enslaved people are saying, oh, well, my master treated me well. Well, right. I mean, if I go somewhere right now, and I'm put into a, I don't know, a six by six room and I'm fed food. I'm going to say I was treated well compared to the guy beside me who's in the yeah. same six by six room and not getting fed anything. But I'm yeah. still in a six by six room. Right. So it's, it's, it's just this is the stuff that I think about, too. So yeah. not only do I think about the history, but there's the depth of the of the of who people are. Right. Like the the humanity of it. Well, and it wasn't seen. It was, I mean, you right. know, that there's that part too. Like, even if, you know, you had masters who gave more cornmeal, they still denied the humanity, humanity thereof. And, you know, one of the things I'd like to like ask you or like just say out loud with you too is I've really been thinking about like what we now know about how trauma works, Letty. You know what I'm saying? and what the brain does when it experiences trauma, right? I've seen how people, we articulate a memory 
just so they can live. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, just so they Marvel. can get past it. Yeah. And so even when we think about something like the WPA narrative, right, which I, I'm not one of those people who's like, throw the whole thing away, right? But what I am saying is, if you're talking about people who have survived the trauma of enslavement, right, what are the things they have to do on a neural, like a neural pathway level to just keep moving forward, you know? And so, again, how do we reinsert the traumatic part of that? Someone was telling me this weekend, like, you know, they had conversations with first peoples saying like, like, well, you know, the first peoples, they fought back. And so even though there were major attempts to enslave them, and that is true, you know, they fought back. And that's why uh, the colonizers went back and got us. Why didn't we fight back? And I'm like, that is such an unfair thing to even posit. Because if we're talking about the first generation of enslaved people who have been stolen, who have survived the the transatlantic trip, and they finally make land, right? That alone is enough to keep somebody like completely discombobulated. Where is the fight in that? And I mean, and I don't believe that is true. Like you said, we've been resisting for so long and there's so many levels to that resistance, but people talk about enslavement and they often divorce that from trauma. And I don't even want to get into the whole epigenetics of it all, but like black parenting is a resistive act in the United States, Letty, because black parents are parenting in a country that never intended for them to parent and probably still doesn't, you know what I'm saying? So like, there are all these things we have resisted in spite of the trauma of the anti-Black world we're, we're living in. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely agree with that because I think what the foundation of some of this is, is the fact that people need to accept what trauma truly is. Mm-hmm. Entirely what it is because whenever I was getting my conflict management degree, I, I did a lot with trauma, a lot with learning how the body works psychologically and all those yeah. things. I'm not a therapist, no, none of that. But to understand conflict, you have to understand how people respond, trauma. right? What yeah. the brain does, does, right? Yeah, right. Like you have to understand the, what happens neurologically. And I, I know my listeners who have heard many of my other podcast episodes before have heard me talk about this book, but the book, The Body Keeps the Score by mm-hmm. Bessel van der Kolk. He goes into this a lot. And people need to understand that trauma is not just sexual assault or a car accident or someone who passed away abruptly in your family. Trauma is also things like not getting hugged enough as a child. Um, trauma is also... Uh, not receiving the acknowledgement that you desperately needed and wanted at a younger age because your brain does something different chemically to support what you didn't get. And that affects how you see the world, right? Like it, it affects your responses. And I mean, I don't know all of the ins and outs of it because that is not my specialty, but I've read enough about it to get a gist of it to understand trauma. And that's why when we talk about generational trauma with Black people and even, and not even just that, but the trauma that we're all still experiencing, many of us. That part, say that part out loud, right? Like, yeah, like we're like still experiencing it. 1865. No. 
like we're experiencing it right now. Like we, this is a 2021 America thing. And so that's also why when we, whenever this country wants to say that it wants equality, and I'm saying this for the sake of what this, what the country says, not what I say, but equality and diversity and equal for all like no you want the the physical aspect of it you want the pamphlet with the black people and the brown people and the white people on it that's what you want you don't want to actually understand what it takes to have that humanness to to humanize people you don't want that because that's going to cost you something that's going to cost white people in this country something to mm -hmm. not center themselves yeah yeah right so and for people who want to for white people in particular who are like i'm ready to have the tough conversation i hear that a lot and i'm like oh no i need you to be prepared for more than a tough conversation and i know you probably see this a lot too in your spaces that for a lot of white people i think they feel like just having the awkward conversation was the work uh where they do that at Y'all, you're, you're not ready, you know, even if we think about something like the land back movement. Y'all ain't ready for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah, that's something that I discuss with my patrons on Patreon or my live Q&A or my Patreon webinars or my, my lessons, whatever they are for that month. I have talked constantly about the work and... One of those things is tough conversations. And what I often tell people, matter of fact, I just did a workshop on this earlier this this um, year, a really extensive workshop about it. But what I often also tell white people and also brown people, and black people can benefit from it too, but it's specifically for white people out here, is doing the work is not just about calling out a racist family member. In that moment, what I care about is that maybe a year before, like they wouldn't have done that, right? Like they would not have done that a year before. And they're seeing what it requires of them to actually actively be anti-racist, what it takes to, act, to actively dismantle the system and if that means that you start on an interpersonal level with a friend or whoever it is, that's, that's not lost on me. And I didn't used to be like this. I used to just, yeah, I didn't used to have the same mindset, but I am not really the mindset, rather the patience. Um, but I also don't have patience for bullshit, <laughs> right? Like I just don't. Like I don't, well, I don't can I have just tolerance for it. Yeah. So I want to, you know, I've been trying to decolonize my thing. Well, first off, I've been trying to decolonize my whole damn life. And a lot of that is also seeing things outside the binary. Because I 200% agree with what you're saying. But I also want to name a frustration out loud, okay? And that is, yes, it is amazing when someone who a year ago would not have confronted their racist uncle now will confront their racist uncle. But I also want to name out loud how frustrating it can be. Because here's the thing. How long did it take us to move our whole lives online last year? Right? Multiple industries. 
right? Like, you know, I was a college professor when COVID uh, quarantining happened. And I basically had two weeks to put all of my classes online. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, people followed suit. So it took a very short time to like completely change how we do business and life. And so I also just want to hold that frustration out loud too, which is like, sometimes it's so frustrating, Letty, because again, the small moments, those small interactions, they matter. But when we've been seeing and experiencing this for so long, it's like, I know I have moments where I'm like, y'all still reading Right Fragility? You know, like, this is still, like, we we still need to get a white person to say the thing out loud for you to grasp it. So I think both things matter, Letty. That's all I'm saying. Like, I think there's space to be like, yeah, you know what? That is a win. That's a little step, and it builds into big momentum. But I also think it's fair for brown and black and indigenous folks to be like, y'all still not ready to talk about land sovereignty? You know, like, oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I hadn't even gotten to that part yet. I can have a whole episode about that. Um, yeah, like, we're planning all the sequels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, there, that's important. I think it is important, you know? Yeah. And there's a level with me understanding history and movements and time and how long things took. Where I get frustrated and when people are like, okay, well, we protested for a year. Or, no, 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 I'm sorry, no. I protested for a month. Or mm-hmm. I've read two or three books. Or whatever it may be, right? Yeah. And there are the same people who want to talk about civil rights movement. Or whatever it may be. And I'm like, you do you know how long the... Yeah. Uh, the stated civil rights movement lasted like it was not a one-year thing um and it wasn't just one movement i always love to say s movement movement because the work that was happening in the 1930s and 40s was really inspiring work you know well yeah i mean that's that's why i said the like stated civil rights movement because this the stated one or people think of Dr. King starts at a certain time and then ended transition exactly. to a certain time, right? And so, yeah, of yeah. course, we talk about Black people and movements and domestic Black women, yeah. um, Black men, I I am a man movement. There's so many, yeah. right? I just, that's where my frustration comes to. But also because, and I'm going to say this, I've said this many times to people, because how many times do we get irritated because our internet is not working fast enough. Mm -hmm. How many times do you get upset because you sent a text message and it's not sending quick enough? Okay. How many times do you sit at the nail salon and you'd be like, how long will it take? I mean, yeah, but I mean like even on things that are smaller scale. Yeah. Like small, like the things that our minds Whenever we're alone with no one else around us, our minds are so used to, are so used to. Psychologically, we're used to quick fixes to everything. Yes, Right? And so that is also something that I am seeing when I've got patterns in history is a big difference. Because when I tell people that, like, during the Civil Rights Movement, you had black people who were training other black people about how to 
not react physically during a sit-in. Like you would have black people yeah. act like the white people who were pouring exactly. ketchup on them, spitting on them. Yeah. Just all the things, right? You had trainings like that yeah. for years, right? And so, yeah. but you also had people who chose to sacrifice their jobs and they chose to put themselves literally in the face of danger. Like literally in the face of it. Like, and so that's another reason why I get irritated Whenever I see white people, brown people, and black people, because contrary to popular belief, not all black people agreed with the civil rights movement. Not all black that people <laughs> believe in the black power movement. Look, and people Bruce think so. Candace Owens out here in the street. Yeah, and and like honestly, it wasn't even some people that were Candace Owens level. It was truly like what we see now with the Black Lives yeah. Matter movement, right? Like there are black people who are part of, let's say, the NAACP, but are like, mm, maybe y'all shouldn't be protesting like that. So yeah. there is that middle ground, and that's always existed. You've always had the Booker T. Washingtons and the W.E.B. Du Boises. You've always had this. You've always yeah. had. Yeah, so there are just a lot of things that I see, and so that's why I'm glad that you brought up, or actually that we've talked about so much in this episode, because it's critical. It, it's critical to draw these connections and to just see how easy it is to make the parallels, right? Mm -hmm. To see the parallels in this because that's what's left out too much. And if and if we do not start to actively choose, consciously choose to see history for what it is and also see the present for what it is, we're going to be here for a long time. People see what happens, like, just because you have a black president doesn't mean that racism goes away. Like, that was never even a thought for me. But I'm just saying, because, you know, a lot of people yeah. thought that. And I'm like, no, because the issues are so much deeper. The yeah. issues have been here. The issues existed before 45 occupied the White House. Um, yeah. The issues are still here with Biden and Harris in the White House. So, yeah, uh, but I'm glad that we went through all that. It was just, this has been a very fruitful <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, feel like I definitely, like, it, it went a different direction than either was probably initially planned. Which is fine. That's why I, I do this on my <laughs> podcast. I just let it flow because that's whenever I find so just the conversation is, it just happens when it's supposed to. Um, but I do want to ask you a question to wrap up this episode. Um, who are you in this country? Well, the shortest answer to that is a Black woman who has been conditioned and educated in the United States, who was working towards reparative justice and equity. So I, as well as other people who look like me, have more options to have our full humanity. That is my short answer. That wasn't really short. A shorter version of that is I'm a Black woman trying to get us reparations. So <laughs> some of us could ghost if that's what we want to do. Yes. Yes. No, I love your answer. Thank you so much for sharing. And that. I am, 
I will also add this too. I'm also a black woman deeply committed to shared humanity. And that looks like nobody being better than anybody else. Because I think a lot of people feel like, oh, you want black people to be on top and you want white people to be sub sub. No, nope. I want to live in a world where if you're black, fat, white, queer, whatever it is that you are, you matter. And no one else matters more than you. So I'm a black woman who's working towards shared humanity as well. Yes. Shared humanity. Yes. I always think when I hear humanity now, I think of humanizing blackness. So yeah, thank you, Kino, for that. And um, one more thing is where can we find you online? I know you mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, but if you could just let us know again where to find you on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you are, and also when your new podcast is going to be available. Oh, Letty, uh, the new podcast. Look for it. You know what? I think I feel like I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> like I told you one initial date and I'm like, ooh, that's not going to happen. I think we can look forward to arrive after the summer. Yeah. Um, and that's divesting from whiteness. And um, you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, the Anti-Blackness Reader Project, which is really just exposing anti-blackness and teaching Black people how to love themselves. Um, I always tell people Black people are diverse AF. We're a wide spectrum. We already know we're not a monolith. So you can find me at the, anti -read uh, the Anti-Blackness Reader Project on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find Divesting from Whiteness on Instagram as well. So awesome. there you go. Yeah, thank you. And I'll definitely include this in the show notes. And also what you said about your podcast and not being ready. Listen, if anything, I've learned the last, I don't know, seven months of my life where my life was kind of turned upside down a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no timeline. Like we are out here trying to survive. You yeah. and we are not static, right? Like we are dynamic yeah. people. So yeah, girl, whenever it's out, we're going to be here to listen to it. So <laughs> if that's this year, next year, whatever it is, because that's yours, right? Like yeah. you can determine that. So yeah, but definitely going to be looking forward to it. And again, you're going to be my first guest. Huh? That's already been established. You're going to be my first guest on it. We already oh. talked about it. I'm honored. I didn't even know that. Yeah, we can be the inaugural. Yeah. Yes. All of the black woman magic. Oh my goodness. And y'all, I'm saying yes, and I'm saying magic, but don't y'all start thinking some superhero fantasy. Put a cape on. You mean magic? Well, we are otherworldly, and that's another episode too. I know. <laughs> Yes, yes. But anyway, thank you again, Kina, for being here today. Thank you, Letty. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between me and Kina. Follow her on social media. Also follow me on social media at sincerely.letty. And you can follow this podcast at History Shows Us Podcast. Also, rate, subscribe, review, share. Y'all know I always say that. It helps me so much. And I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And as always, until next time.